the First Christian Church of Chiefland brings you the good news. And now, Tom Show. For this morning, as we continue talking about parables, I'm going to preach a sermon entitled, The Mighty Mustard Seed. I'd like to share with you the top ten classified ads from true classified ads in the daily newspaper. Number ten. Warning. Man to take care of cow that does not smoke or drink. Anybody have to think about some of these, but pretty funny. Number nine, try us once. You'll never go anywhere again. Number eight, dog for sale. Eats anything and is fond of children. Number seven, illiterate. Write today for free help. Yeah, I like that one. Number six, stock up and save. Limit, one. Number five, man wanted to work in dynamite factory, must be willing to travel. <laughs> Number four, semi-annual after Christmas sale. Who said Christmas only comes once a year? Number three, for sale, antique desk, suitable for lady with thick legs and large drawers. Number two, we do not tear your clothing with machinery, we do it carefully by hand. And number one, used cars. Why go elsewhere to be cheated? Come here first. <clears throat> now, many of those classifieds are funny because somebody left out or misspelled one small word or phrase. And sometimes it's the things you don't notice, the little things that have the greatest value. But doesn't that sound like an oxymoron? The mighty mustard seed. That's like jumbo shrimp, or noisy silence, or bittersweet, or military intelligence. How can a mustard seed be mighty? Well, in our text today, Jesus tells a parable using one of the smallest of seeds known to the people in that day, the mustard seed. Now, how many of you ever seen a mustard seed? It's not much bigger than a speck of dust, is it? And yet Jesus uses this small, seemingly insignificant little seed to tell us something about his kingdom, the church. Let's read first in Matthew chapter 31, verses 31 and 32. And another parable Jesus put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And then in Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, I'd like to read verses 18 to 19. Then Jesus said, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took, put in his garden. And it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as we contemplate 
this parable about the mustard seed. Help us, Lord, to have our ears open to the Word of God this morning and allow our eyes to see what Jesus is trying to declare to us about this small insignificant seed and how it's compared to the church, the kingdom of heaven. And help us, Lord, to understand it truly is the mighty mustard seed when we realize the impact it has on your church today. So I, have, I pray, Lord, you'll help me to convey the word of God this morning in an understanding kind of way and that we'll all be able to grow from the word today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've already discussed over the past few weeks, parables were stories that Jesus told where he used common items that people often saw every day, such as birds and flowers and, and seeds to describe spiritual truths. And realities they'd never seen or would never see. And no one had ever seen the kingdom of God Jesus was describing. So, he told parables like this to help people visualize what it was going to be like. But why use an item like a mustard seed? I mean, it was a small, insignificant, relatively unimportant seed. It wasn't highly prized. It was useful for flavoring food. And it leaves, uh, its leaves were edible, and some believe, if properly uh, prepared, parts of the plant had medicinal properties. But it was also something of a nuisance plant. Jesus calls it a tree here, but it's actually more of a shrub. It grew sometimes to a height of 10 to 12 feet, and its stem often could become the thickness of a man's arm. But it was still a shrub. And it wasn't any overly attractive plant. In fact, at times people regarded it as a bit of a weed. You, you didn't dare plant it in your garden and it would crowd out all the other plants and literally take over. Now, before any skeptics get to, too excited about whether Jesus was in error or not by calling it a tree or, and not a shrub, let me explain. The mustard shrub, commonly believed to be the black mustard plant, sometimes grew to heights of up to 15 feet. In other words, the mustard plant could tower over people much like a tree would, and no doubt many Jews of that day may have called it just that, a tree. And for Jesus to have called this shrub a tree, therefore, would not have been an error in the scripture. If it were commonly referred to by others in that fashion, and Jesus used it for illustration for the people to understand. So don't think that Jesus made a mistake here. To me, I think of a shrub that has the thickness of a man's arm and grows to 15 feet. That's more like a tree to me. <laughs> you see, the mustard plant was a common, ordinary shrub that had things about it that people liked and things about it, well, that frankly people didn't like. So why did Jesus choose the mustard seed to represent the kingdom? Why choose something so small, so ordinary, to, plant, to paint a picture of the powerful and majestic kingdom which Jesus would soon invest so much to create? It just doesn't make any sense. Or, does it? I want to share with you three reasons why Jesus chose the mustard plant, or the mustard seed. First, I believe Jesus chose the mustard seed because the seed... The seed was small in size. There's a story about a student from MIT who spent an entire summer 
going to the Harvard football field every day wearing a black and white striped shirt, walking up and down the field for 10 or 15 minutes, throwing bird seed and blowing a whistle. Then he would walk off the field. At the end of the summer, it came time for the first Harvard home football game. As the game was about to begin, the referee walked onto the field and blew the whistle. The game had to be delayed for a half hour to wait for the birds to get off of the field. The student wrote an MIT, uh, uh, the student from MIT wrote his thesis on what he had done and graduated. Now, had you been watching this student throughout the summer walking up and down Harvard's football field, you probably would have understood his objective. Or you probably wouldn't have. What's this crazy kid doing? But once football season begins, his purpose was very, very clear, wasn't it? I don't know. I think that's pretty ingenious. The young man did all that he did that summer in order to accomplish two goals. Number one, he wanted to write a powerful thesis on conditioned response to graduate from MIT. And number two, he wanted to irritate the students and faculty at Harvard University. I think he achieved both. He did both with the power of a tiny little seed. And here in this parable we've read this morning, Jesus is telling us, that God has a purpose in mind for the seed that he plants in the field regardless of the size and the insignificance. Why did Jesus choose the mustard seed to represent his kingdom? Well, let's read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'd like to begin with verse 18. See what you think. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the, wi the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You know, atheists once went to court to try to prove there is no God and they shouldn't be able to talk to... They wanted their own holiday for atheism. And after the judge heard the case, he dismissed it. He said, you already have a holiday. It's called April Fool's Day. 
because the atheist is a fool. According to God's own word. That's why. Maybe that's why Jesus chose something so small and insignificant to prove just how incredible the church is going to be. Maybe it's because God is always consistent. God is always consistent, as I read there, has chosen the foolish things of the world, the shame of the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world, the shame of things which are strong, the base things of the world to be, and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not, that it might multiply the things that are, that no man should boast before God. Now I've heard of churches that become the quote-unquote in place to be. All the pretty people want to go there. All the influential gather at its doors. Politicians and businessmen go to that building because that's where everybody else is. It can be described as the mighty oak or the towering redwood, a spreading chestnut tree because it has great influence and power in the community. But those churches often run into the danger of being a place where people go to, eat, to see other people and not to see Jesus. Jesus didn't create his church to be a mighty oak. He wanted to be a humble mustard shrub. He doesn't want people to go to church and be impressed at how important they are and how valuable the people are around them. He wants people to what? Be the church and bow in modesty before his throne. I know that's been a popular statement for so long. What are you doing on Sunday? I'm going to church. I'm going to church. I'm going to church. No, you are the church. We're not going to do church. We're going to worship with the rest of the church. The Lord's children. You see, sometimes it's just, we need to just change our wording a little bit. Let people know. I'm not going. I am the church. In short, you see, he doesn't want people to get excited about themselves. He wants them to get excited about what he can do through them, what he can do in their lives and the changes and healing he can bring in them and to them. And that's part of the reason he chose the mustard seed to represent his kingdom. He wanted us to keep our eyes off of ourselves and focused on him. But there's more. You see, the seed was small in size. But the seed was small but powerful. He chose the mustard seed because of this parable, because of its size. He used it because even something as small as a mustard seed had miraculous power within it. Think about it. A seed not much bigger than a pinhead had within its power to become a towering plant 15 feet in air. If you've done much work out in the garden, you've grown used to the idea of being able to put a seed in the ground and you watch its plant grow from the ground. In fact, you might not have thought much about it. It just happens. Now let's say next week, Bill Gates gathers the entire world's most brilliant scientists together and he tells them, I'll give you all the money you could possibly want if you make something for me. I want you to create an item the size of a pinhead. 
that I can bury in my backyard out in the sun and I want this item to grow up out of the ground and become a living, life-giving plant. Will the scientists be able to do it? Will they having untold billions of dollars at their disposal be able to take inanimate material and produce something as simple as a garden variety seed? Of course not. Gates is one of the richest men in the world. He's a certified genius. He's done things no one ever would have thought possible. But I'm here to tell you, I don't care how smart he is. I don't care how much money he has. He's not smart or rich enough to create anything as amazing as a little seed. There's no scientist alive that create that kind of miracle. Create that little seed out of nothing. Well, likewise, the kingdom of God the church has the power to do things that no human institution can emulate. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, you can't duplicate what God intends to do in his church. God's power in the church has a life within it that defies understanding. And it all starts with a small seed of the gospel inside the heart of an individual. And once that seed takes root and begins to grow, that which was lifeless and empty begins to be filled with the power of God. Look at Mark. Mark chapter 5. I'd like to read verses 1 through 13. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, that's Jesus, immediately there met him out of the tomb, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. No one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. The chains had been pulled apart by him. The shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Great guy to be around. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What am I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. And he, Jesus said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he answered and said, My name is Legion, for we are many. Here's the demon speaking. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. And all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. The unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There was about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now do you see the change that happens when one truly submits to the power of Jesus Christ? This man was changed forever. And if I had continued reading, you'd recognize when the people of the town came out because they heard what was going on, they found this man cleaned up and clothed at the feet of Jesus. Where should we be at the feet? Or where else should we be if we're humble children than at the feet of Jesus? That's what the little seed of the gospel message has done in your heart, in my heart. It's changed us forever.
And that's another reason why Jesus chose the mustard seed. Because of the humility that it represents. Because of the life-giving power it had within it. And then finally, I believe Jesus chose the mustard seed because the seed must die to give life. See, Jesus chose a mustard plant that represents church because the mustard seed has to die in order to give life. In 1 Corinthians 15, 35-38, Paul wrote, But someone will say, How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool! That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be but a bare grain perhaps wheat or something else, but God gives a body just as he wishes, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. In other words, a seed has to die to bring life. And was it possible Jesus was saying that in the same way, in order for the kingdom of God to come into being, something had to die. At least two or three times in his ministry it's recorded that Jesus told his disciples the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. In fact, Paul tells us that this is the message of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received. Which also you stand by, which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of the first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Brothers and sisters, right there is the definition of the gospel. In other words, Jesus had to die and be buried in order to give life to his church and to us. He says in his own words in John chapter 12, 23 through 26, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life. To life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus had to die for the church to grow. So, why did Jesus choose the mustard seed to represent his kingdom? You know, it's amazing how a tiny mustard seed could say so much about Christ's kingdom. They may seem quite a bit to comprehend the very idea of using a small seed, a little larger than the pin, a pinhead, being used to describe power and the mystery of what Jesus did to create his kingdom. Was there that much power in that tiny seed that Jesus would want to use something so small to represent something so majestic? I think the answer is yes. I don't think there's anything on earth that has the ability to bury the power that lies within one tiny seed. In a cemetery in Hanover, Germany, is a grave on which were placed huge slabs of granite and marble cemented together 
and fastened with heavy steel clasps. It belongs to a woman who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Yet strangely she directed in her will that her grave be made so secure that if there were a resurrection, it could not reach her. And on the marker were inscribed these words, This burial place must never be opened. In time, a seed covered over by the stones began to grow. And slowly it pushed its way through the soil and out from beneath them. And as the trunk enlarged, the great slabs were gradually shifted so that the steel clasps were wrenched from their sockets. A tiny seed had become a tree that had pushed aside the stones. <laughs> Romans 5, 8-10 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us. You know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You see, the seed of the gospel wants to grow in your life. Are you ready to die to sin that the seed of the gospel may grow and change your life for the kingdom of God forever? Forever. I have seen firsthand what the seed of the gospel message can do in people's lives. I see how it changed me 38 plus years ago when I first heard the gospel message. How it changed me. Seeing how it's turned drug addicts and alcoholics in the witnesses for Jesus. I've seen so many people changed that you would have never thought would be a witness for Christ. I've seen people that thought they were good people changed and only to come to say that I was just a sinner like anybody else. A tiny little mustard seed of the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus, and how it's grown over the years. You know, on the day of Pentecost, ten days after Jesus ascended into heaven, the first Gospel message was preached. A tiny little mustard seed was planted. Who knows how many hearts that day that were in Jerusalem when Peter preached that message. But the scripture tell us 3,000 people were baptized into Christ that day. 
And that was how the mustard seed started to grow. Just a short time later in the book of Acts, it says 5,000 that the church had grown to 5,000. So those 3,000 took that tiny little mustard seed and started to planting it. You know, the other thing that really excites me, after 5,000, all it says, says after that was multitudes were added to the church. All because the mustard seed of the gospel message grew in the hearts of people and continues to grow in the hearts of people today. Is it growing in your heart? Maybe you still haven't accepted that full gospel message. You know, I put the plan of salvation up there every week for everyone to see. And I talk about it many times in my sermons. And maybe some people think I just talk to the choir every week. And maybe I am. But the one thing that should always remind us where we've come from and that there's still work to do because there's still people out there that need to hear this message. They need the gospel seed to be planted in their heart. But if you haven't given your life to Christ, we're going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. Can you really sing this song with all your heart? Because you have decided. Or the fourth verse, will you decide? We're going to stand and sing. Verses 1 and 4. You come if you have a decision to make for Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back. Heavenly Father, I pray today that we take those words and we'd be able to answer, Lord, with a resounding yes. We have decided to follow Jesus every single day, not turning back, but walking forward for Christ. And I pray, Lord, as we go, that we'll be spreading the seed of the gospel message to others. That they'll be able to see Jesus in us. They'll want to know where our joy and our happiness comes from. And they'll want to hear about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But I pray also they'll want to hear that Jesus is coming back one day. May they not wait. May we not wait. May we be ever found every day being faithful. So that we're prepared. I pray you'll keep us safe as we go from this place today and guide us this week. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget, we're going to take a picture.